Okay, go. You're listening to the Debatable Podcast hosted by Greg Sedashny. It's available for streaming and download at debatablepodcast.tumblr.com and on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at DebatablePod and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash debatablepodcast. Greg also co-hosts All the Pieces Matter along with Fernando Madrigal. All the Pieces Matter is a retrospective podcast on HBO's The Wire. It's available for streaming and download at wirepod.tumblr.com and on iTunes. Find All the Pieces Matter on Twitter at wire underscore podcast and like the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash wirepodcast. Last but not least, you can always find Debatable and All the Pieces Matter anytime at actionagogo.com. So please, check out our sites on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Tumblr. Check us out on the street if you see us there. Leave us questions, comments, feedback. And if you're up to it, rate and review us on iTunes. We really like that. And hey, let your friends know about us. But above all, enjoy today's show. Thanks for listening. That's great. That's great. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome to the Debatable Podcast. It's been kind of a bit since uh, we uh, we had an episode out. It's been kind of hard to get back into it, honestly. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the last episode. Uh, in my intro, I was kind of talking about some uh, some some heartache and some some difficult times I've been going through uh, in my personal life. So it's kind of impacted putting these out. Um, I've had a bunch of uh, interviews that are kind of in the bank waiting to be uh, published and kind of uh, I got things on the calendar coming up and um, it's just been uh, it's just been difficult to get back into the swing of things get back into the whole uh, rhythm of doing these you know bi-weekly like we were publishing them. Um, I was talking to a friend yesterday about this it's just uh, it's something where you know everything kind kind of gets put on the back burner when you got this, you know, heavy personal shit going on. And, uh, you know, it sucks because my creativity is really, there's a big, large chunk that is dedicated to doing this podcast. And, and often I feel like, you know, I have to psych myself up to do it. And when I have to psych myself up to do it, that means, you know, something is just not, it's not gelling with me. So maybe it's just a personal thing. Maybe it's just, you know, going through a a rough patch of trying to recenter my creativity and my excitement for this. But uh, it's something I'm going to probably talk more about on an upcoming episode. I don't know who with or when that'll be, but um, maybe uh, maybe it's time to kind of vent and kind of get it all out of me so I can get back to one, back to, you know, the, uh, the, the podcasting uh, mindset so that everything kind of gels again and I can start putting these out on a more regular basis. I think it's been like a month or two since I put out the last episode with Mike Fury. So anyway, today we're going to be talking to Peter Harrow about his new horror film, WTF, which is coming out later this year. I think sometime in summer, he said, um, is what they're shooting for. Uh, kind of talk about the the process, um, the, the, the directing, uh, casting this movie, kind of making something that's both an homage and kind of a diversion of what ho- horror fans have come to expect from in 
indie horror movies. So uh, WTF is definitely sounding like it's it's going to be a great film when it comes out. Um, uh, in the show notes, I'm going to put the trailer. Go check that out. And it might be something you might uh, be into, especially if you're a horror fan. So that's today on Debatable Podcast. Um, hoped, again, I hope to make some more uh, regular posts, more regular uh, episodes coming out. We got a lot of special things coming up on the horizon. So uh, I'm really excited about that. Also, a quick note, I don't think I did mention this, but uh, we had planned an Alfred Hitchcock retrospective like once a month, me and Curtis Thompson. Uh, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. And unfortunately, well, actually, fortunately for Curtis, uh, he uh, just had a baby. And uh, he's going to be, uh, uh, you know, doing the fatherhood thing, doing the, the parenthood thing for a bit. And uh, that's definitely going to unfortunately put our uh, series, our Alfred Hitchcock series, kind of on the back burner for now. Um, I think. I think it's something that we will get into eventually in a few months when things start getting a little more stable with him and his wife. um, We can start making some time to say, hey, we're going to dig into this. We had started doing the research on the silent period. It's kind of the the 20s of uh, Hitchcock's career. And again, we're going to be delving into it in a very, not in a very deep academic way where we're pulling this apart, but it's really just going to be like an overview looking at Hitchcock from the decade 20s 30s 40s so on and so forth uh on each episode so we're going to talk about kind of how his career and his style kind of um organically changed over that time became more mature became more uh centered and and particular uh idiosyncratic is the word i'm looking for so yeah that's going to be soon but uh definitely it's going to be uh it's going to be delayed a bit as Curtis has a new baby to take care of and and start raising. Uh, But yes, okay, Peter Harrow, today on the show, I hope you enjoy. How you turned out? You too wild, you too wild, you too wild, you too wild. I need you now. Love you, love you, love you, found you, found you, found right now, right now. Gotta let me know if I could be your Joseph Only tell you real shit, that's the tea, no sip Don't trip, don't trip, that pussy slippery, know it We ain't tripping on shit, we just sipping on this Just forget the whole shit, we could laugh about nothing I impregnate your mind, let's have a baby without fucking Yo, I know it's corny bitches, you wish you could unfollow I know it's corny niggas, you wish you could unswallow I know it's corny bitches, you wish you could unfollow I know it's corny niggas, you wish you could Unswallow, hey, I know it's corny bitches you wish you could unfollow. I know it's corny niggas you wish you could unswallow. You tried to play nice, everybody just took advantage. You left your fridge open, somebody just took a sandwich. I said, baby, what if you was clubbing, thugging, hustling before you met your husband? Then I said, what if Mary was in the club, but she met Joseph around hella thugs, Covenory and Lamb's Wool. We surrounded by the fucking wolves. What if Mary 
was in the club, but she met Joseph with no love. Cover Saint and Lamb's Wool, we surrounded by the fucking wolves. So yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about WTF. That's your new movie that's coming out this year, right? Correct. Yes, it's uh, debuting later this year. Do you know kind of when it's going to, or is that still up in the air? Are you still working on it? It's still a little bit of a debate. Um, I We're looking at summer right now, um, which I think is pretty much dead set. Uh, an actual date I don't have yet, right. um, but we're, we're getting that figured out right now. Um, good news is we are about a week away from locking a cut, so... Um, once that happens, you know how it goes. It's going to be pretty quick to finish, so sure. I'm excited about it. Absolutely. Let me talk a little bit about your background. How did you get into uh, to filmmaking, and were you always focused on on directing, or did you just want to want to do some sort of like production work? Uh, directing actually has always been uh, my passion. Um, I would say as back as my high school days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of where it birthed from. I always had. Um, a lot of visual references, but no way to really explain to people what I was thinking. So I felt film was going to be the best sure. way of doing that to show all these creative thoughts that I had stirring around my head growing up. Absolutely. Did you go to uh, film school? I did. I went to Columbia College, Chicago. Um, I did uh, partial schooling there, and then I actually dropped out after the first year and moved to Los Angeles with the rest of my college money. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that. I mean, like, you have to be in New York or preferably in L.A. to do this, you know? It's absolutely true. To be practical with it. Um, Were you a a horror geek? Was that your leaning, or is that something that uh, you figured was a a genre to break into with this film? I think horror is, you know, everyone says it's classically a great genre to start with, um, which I think is true, but... um, I definitely have a huge passion for horror and growing up, that's all I ever watched. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I am a big fan of the hooded mask killers, uh, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, um, Jason Voorhees. Those are my, my favorites. You know, I love the classics, uh, the classic, uh, killer in the mask, uh, which is not this film, but it's the genre I love so much is horror. So, right. Yeah. You're getting a lot of, uh, those influences, those slasher influences in, uh, just seeing the trailer for WTF. Um, you know, this kind of cabin, the type of people that are, uh, part of the ensemble, you got those archetypes there. Um, absolutely. What were the, what were those influences? Are you talking about like evil dead and other slasher movies that might've factored into that? Yeah. It's, it's all of that. Um, Really, my inspiration was uh, for this film, you'll see a lot of influence from it. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you're going to see a lot of Friday the 13th. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Scream. Um, you're going to see a lot of these things because they're all the films that I grew up to love. And being my first film, I really wanted this to be uh, a touch on that, a touch or a tribute to, to pay back to those homages that I love so much from those films. Mm-hmm. So you'll see little moments throughout this film that kind of make you feel like you're watching those classic films from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And and those are the films I'm so stuck with. And that's why watching this film, you'll actually get that 90s vibe out of it. No, so there's no bigger hardcore audience for film than horror fans, I think, uh, especially with the conventions and everything. Right. So that's fantastic. Uh, so how did uh, WTF come together? Where was the, the concept born? Was it was it you? Was it uh, your your writing partners? 
Um, it actually started back uh, in 2009. So it's been a concept for quite some time. I uh, started writing it um, with a, my, my co-writer, uh, Christopher Gentani. Uh, we basically sat down one day and said, let's write something. Uh, let's make a film. You know, horror is our background. Let's do something fun and campy. Uh, yet uh, bloody and and just crazy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and take the classic formula and just amp it up a bit. Um, and so we sat there and, you know, it took a little bit of time to figure out what the structure was or what we wanted to do. And just kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier, that's when we talked about our favorite films and right. the things that really reached out to us. And that's what we made the you know, the backbone of the story to kind of structure after our favorite films. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you needed to to keep inside that um, that cookie cutter plot or were you trying to divert that as much as you could? I definitely think in this film there is a diversion from that. It's mm. it's definitely not as commercial as these other films that you're seeing. There right. is definitely an indie vibe to it. Um, and a different kind of feel and pace to it. I, I think that the, the film that we have right now is definitely unique and stands on its own, mm-hmm. but you will see those references. Um, but the ending itself doesn't match any of those classic horror films that we normally sure. follow. Gotcha. I'm guessing that probably some of your biggest hurdles, um, besides kind of budgeting were probably casting, right? Casting was, um, extremely difficult. Um, but for me, it was the thing I spent probably the most time on. We right. spent three and a half months casting this wow. film wow. and we were at it every week. We went to casting calls and, um, I met with so many people and, uh, it was about getting the cast right for me, uh, buildings, a bunch of characters that truly were characters and that you can grow to love or hate, mm-hmm. um, yes. but basically just really getting the personalities figured out and finding these people that really had a good chemistry together. But we went from everything from casting into intense chemistry reads. And, um, and uh, I think it was a really fun process, but as you'll see from a lot of the behind the scenes, uh, interviewing, we did the actors were even saying they would kind of, they would, they would do, um, an audition and then a month would goodbye and they wouldn't hear anything and they'd give up on the project. And then I'd call them and they'd be like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Callbacks. Uh, so then another month would go by and I'd call back. So it was a up and down roller coaster for them as well, but it was fun. It was a great process. That's how those independent features work. I mean, not only are you dealing with, I mean, they say a lot of independent features go this long, you know, five, six, seven years to get something, uh, together, especially on this, on this level. And then obviously if you're trying to get it right, it sounds like you're very interested in, in, uh, having a quality cast put together and you're very interested in putting that together, especially cause you're, it's your first film that, uh, Absolutely. that it's going to take some yeah. time to do <laughs> three and a half months is something else for an independent, it's crazy. Feature, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It, it is a lot of time, but I mean, there's, I couldn't have done it without the production team I had together and Absolutely. it, the, to say the least, they were beyond amazing and, Everyone worked for peanuts, so it's literally what we pulled off, and I think the quality of what we got for the budget we had is absolutely astonishing. Without giving too much away from uh, of the plot, um, is there a female protagonist? Uh, you know, the the last girl type uh, type person. Um, it's a good question with a complicated answer. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yes, absolutely, there is a final girl, um, and what. What's kind of great, I think, about this story is 
a lot of features start at the beginning. And with this one, we actually start in what seems to be almost a sequel. The first seven minutes of the film kind of explain the past and we mm -hmm. kind of get a recap of this original massacre that our lead goes through and she survives. Right. Um, and so what we're really doing here is we're starting on the second part of her story, which is she's trying to move on and really grow past this horrible thing that happened to her years ago. Mm -hmm. And now in this newest story, she finally gets the courage to go out and live her life again. And of course she gets there and everything starts to unravel again. And, and so it's not just about survival. It's about her figuring out who's doing this and why, and really getting to terms with it and having that final girl moment of what is this, what is happening? And I need to face my demons and get this figured out. Absolutely. Good motivation for the character, right? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, how does uh, how does the crew factor into this? Because I know uh, about independent filmmaking, but I know from kind of the East Coast uh, uh, setup. I don't know exactly how it comes together in when you're when you're in Hollywood, when you're in Los Angeles, being so close to the epicenter of filmmaking. Um, I got to imagine that, like we talked about, some of these hurdles must have been budgetary. But how did you bring a crew together and uh, and get that get that rolling? Honestly, it had to do with, I think, the amount of passion I had behind the project. Um, you know, you ha you have a, you deal with a lot of projects that you work on out here that are very money-based, and there's, there's passion, obviously, in everything that people do, but it, it becomes kind of a machine at some points. And I know that there are so many people out there that want to do that independent film where there's more heart than there is um, – kind of financial backing, if you will. Sure. And um, the, the thing that I'm, I'm proud of is that I did bring on a bunch of people that don't really necessarily have the credits, but I just know had the talent um, right. and needed their moment to shine. And so there is a lot of great talent in this film um, that I know are going to be up and comings and will move past into other big projects. Right. That's a great place to start for them. I mean, obviously, you're giving them for all of us, yeah. Break, yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe not, maybe not the most um, uh, technically uh, averse uh, situation to get into. But what were you shooting on? Were you shooting on uh, uh, like a red or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So we actually shot on um, a red epic, mm -hmm. um, and we were using um, Sumacron C lenses. I can't get into much more than that. I'd have to get my DP on this call <laughs> if we go any further. But but the decision to go with the lenses that I chose were uh, uh, based on wanting this to be an indie, but also kind of rein in a very commercial look. And I guess my reasoning behind that would have to be that um, I have a theatrical marketing background. Mm -hmm. I worked at Warner Brothers for five years in theatrical marketing. And um, with that being my background, you know, I've seen so many movie trailers and so many of our products get marketed and how they got marketed and what those structures were. I've seen really bad movies get amazing marketing campaigns mm -hmm. and vice versa. So I wanted to create a really clean look for this, something that I know would hit an indie audience, but also would pique the interest of distributors. Right. Is there something more recent that you were looking to visually that you wanted to kind of bring that that kind of style into it? Um, I would say if I had I wanted to match anything, it'd be Tail and Ducker, uh, Tail Dale and Tucker versus uh -huh. Evil. Yeah, yeah, that was tongue twisting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
the the color palette for that I would say was something I really liked because it, you know it had that fun little indie edge, but it yes. still had a kind of a commercial look to it. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it's very it's very simple to pick out the the kind of let's say mediocre indie movies because they're so flat. They don't right. they don't really have a um, like visual panache to them. Um, even some of them, even the ones that are really interested in using those lenses and using kind of a shallow depth of field and everything, um, mm-hmm. some of them just end up being a little too flat. But even from the the footage from the trailer, I, I, I think that it really does set, set itself apart. Um, I'm interested in seeing it when it finally does come out. Um, definitely send a copy your way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so what were your, were you, I, I imagine that over this production, since it was your first one, your first major of uh, uh, film to work on, that you had some, some, uh, kind of, uh, obstacles, some challenges in, in, in the production experience. Can you talk at all about those, those hurdles that you came over on, a, on the production day to day side? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it was, a challenge every day. Um, I would say the biggest challenges uh, were the amount of hats everyone had to wear. Um, you know, typical productions, there's five, six producers um, and so on. Literally, I had one producer for the entire film. Right. Um, I had a couple associate producers, but they weren't really involved in the day to day. I had one on set producer there every day, and that was it. So, you know, I had to step into that role a lot, which I wish I didn't have to all the time, but I did. Um, so, it, it, you know, it can get challenging from time to time, uh, yeah. directing, producing and doing all of these things, wanting to focus on getting the best performances, but also making sure you're not going over budget <laughs> and all these other things that sure. are running through your head as a first time filmmaker with a smaller budget. You just want to make it great. And you hear these horror stories about these productions that no pun intended, um, <laughs> are you, but of all these productions that start but never finish because they just didn't budget correctly and and so you know there's this great balance of trying to get the best product and obviously getting to the final day of filming with no hiccups or issues and um i have to say with the amount of pressure and stress that everyone i'm sure must have felt including myself it went along pretty darn smoothly and i'm pretty proud of how everyone pulled together and it, it literally comes back to what I was saying about passion. I mean, it really couldn't have been done if I didn't come in at least smiling and telling everyone how excited I was to be there every day with them. Right. Um, right. you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, a uh, it was insane to say the least, but, um, the days all blurred together into one. It felt like, right. Um, when you're, when you're in it, I'm sure it, it is a, a little more trying than once you look back on it and realize, Oh, you have this, you know, in the can, you're ready to go edit and everything. So you're kind of more forgiving even to your memories about it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, we shot at this beautiful home on Mulholland drive for seven days wow. of the shoot, which was our cabin in the woods. Nice. Um, but it, you know, it plays well, it plays off well and you wouldn't know, you know, none would be the wiser after seeing the film, but it, it really was a challenge. Um, you know, you want to have this blood splatting everywhere, but you're in a multi-million dollar home. You really are limited sure, sometimes sure. with your options. So, you know, tons of saran wrap and plastic wrap everywhere, uh, plus some creativity will get you there. But it, to say the least, it was a challenge. And for me as a director, I wanted most of my effects to be practical. I'm not a big fan of VFX, um, though they're needed in yeah. some cases. Uh, I tried my best to stay away from the word fix it and post. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
fix it in the post. Everyone relies on it. You're absolutely right. <laughs> right. So um, that, that's that's interesting too. I'm, I'm imagining you also had night shoots, right? We did. Um, not as many as I'd like. Uh, so you, you'll kind of see. Um, you'll notice in some of the film, it's kind of you, you would expect there to be a little bit more nighttime in some of it, but. I guess that goes back to production and the challenge of getting some of these later permits. Oh, um, it was kind of difficult. We were literally two doors, two houses down from uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's home, and all these things, and we have to knock on these doors, getting signatures, gotcha. and of course, no one's answering. Um, and, and so you get permits for some of these days, but not others, and um, it, it became a challenge in production. So some of it was a rewrite, you know, some of right. the stuff that was should have been shot at night became daytime and. It still works though, and and the things that needed to be at night are at night, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. Well, you gotta you gotta work on your toes, right? It all you always have to. Right, absolutely. You know that's but the it best. Well, I've, I've, absolutely yeah. the best filmmaking I think comes from people you know actually uh, not have not being able to fix everything with money. You know, we'll just throw money at it. You gotta you really gotta think on your toes when it comes to these productions, and and sometimes you gotta make uh, those compromises. How did you? Right, and go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say on top of that, you know, I think one of the bi- the best things for our production, and I would encourage any other um, newer filmmaker to do this, if you do have a writing partner, because you as the director aren't going to be able to focus on that, uh, bring them with you on set. And um, I, I later um, was able to get another writing partner, um, Adam Buckhalter, and he was the one that really kind of did a great revision on the script and punched up the comedy, mm-hmm. uh, really kind of giving me some really wonderful one-liners as well. And uh, he was great. He was actually on set with us almost every day. So when we needed those on-the-fly changes and I couldn't really give all my attention to it, he would write something up. We'd review it and kind of tweak it on the fly and go. Right. So uh, it was a great formula for us. You were talking about wearing many hats. I imagine someone who's a director but also a writer on the uh, on the story. Were you Were you, once you got on the set, were you divorced from the script and you were leaving it up to a script supervisor or someone to overlook that or were you constantly was that in the back of your mind with whether you were doing storyboards or shot lists or anything like that we did do a handful of shot lists things did change on the fly uh yes i did have a script supervisor um but i definitely am the type of person that script supervisor or not, I'm always looking at these things. So right. I'm, I'm very picky with continuity. And though I would say we did a really good job on continuity, there are, there are always going to be those little things. But sure. but other than that, I really think um, we did a great job. And, and yes, I did have a huge focus on all of that as well. Um, my attention to detail, I think, is part of a good creative OCD, if you will. That's good. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things that's really important to me um, is creating a quality product that you don't only want to watch once, but those little kind of Easter eggs that you find through the second viewing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, in, uh, earlier when you were saying you have to be this director, it's like you have to – you have so much on your shoulders as far as being that general, being that leader that you don't – you don't necessarily want to be someone that second guesses themselves, especially in front of cast and crew, because then maybe, you know, they're, they're not trusting of what you're going to do. So you have to have that OCD. You have to have that, that stressful job of, of overseeing everything and kind of leading the way on whatever the decision is, whether it's against what you originally wanted or not, you know? Right. So, 
So Absolutely. What were the what were the the great experiences? You know, I can see that you went through these these hurdles, and uh, you know, it, better than than some productions that are plagued with issues. But what were some of the great experiences? Do you remember anything? That, any stories that you could tell about the uh, production you did? Absolutely. Um, for me, it was um, seeing a lot of the cast grow. Uh, we had a couple first timers in a feature. Um, just seeing the process and kind of us becoming a family through it. Um, you know, those were my great moments. It's where those moments where, you know, I, I could take a breath, though they were very far and, and few in between. I was really able to kind of take back and see what we were doing. And and really, we started to build a family. It's It was unfortunate that I had to kill some of them off. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I really wanted to bring them back um so it's it, it's it i said you know i wish we made a damn comedy at least i could bring you all back um, sure. <laughs> but you know it, it i i would have to say my moments my my great moments were really just developing the relationships with the cast and the crew and really having those small little moments where you just knew that you had something good on your hands and right. you knew that you were creating something that was going to be something that we were all going to be really happy with at the end of the day. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I was really thrilled with that. I, I'm sure other people would have different experiences. I was so in it though. Most of the time it was hard for me to break away. Mm-hmm. I was looking at behind the scenes photos about a month after and I was like, wait, that happened. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, that was going on. I missed a lot of the fun stuff. <laughs> um, I was too busy making the movie, I guess. Yeah. But, right. uh, but it was fun to look back on it. And, um, build those relationships. We, we'd still do a lot of WTF reunions with the cast and crew. And, uh, it's something that we still are keeping up and we're still having a great time doing, and I, I'm still in touch with everyone. Awesome. As a director, as that arc of production went through, uh, were you more focused on performance or were you leaving that mostly to this ensemble cast to like you gave them a direction and and you were able to let them off and and do their own thing and you kind of focused more on the on the visual or you know the mise-en-scene or any of that what kind of director were you during on the on the set that's a great question actually um the approach i took with this was i i when i went through the casting process i hired people that I felt already kind of felt met the mold of what I was looking for just in their personality types. Yeah. Um, not to say that, you know, mm-hmm. for instance, um, Andrea Hunt who played Bonnie was playing the dumb blonde. She's obviously ex- extremely intelligent, but I could see that she got what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, getting these characters and these people to understand what I'm looking for. And in auditions, when I see them bring that character life, I let them kind of help develop the character. Um, Callie Ott, who played the lead, Rachel, started putting together playlists, um, things that she thought that Rachel would listen to. Mm-hmm. And she really kind of sat there and put together this character. And we would talk about it um, before filming and kind of see where she was at. And I would tweak those performances. But yeah, on set, I would always kind of give them a basic direction to a dry run. If I had any tweaks, I would tweak them. Um, if they had any questions for me, I always had an answer. It was never a second thought or me not being sure. Um, but the, the good thing about that is anytime they did have anything for me, I knew what I wanted from them. Um, but I wanted the more natural reactions from them. So I, you know, I have this 
thing about trying to direct fear. And, you know, I think it's difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I let them get in their own headspace. And what I loved about my actors is they did kind of plug in, um, you know, when, and it's kind of not a secret anymore, you know, when um, Bonnie the Blonde gets her face kind of bashed in, which you see at the end of the trailer. Right. Um, you see she's going through this this moment where she's seeing her beautiful face ruined in the mirror. Mm. And uh, it's hard to direct a moment like that sure. with, without getting her out of her own head. She was, she was plugged in the music during the entire uh, makeups and effects uh, process when she's getting all done up. Right. And she actually did not want to look in the mirror or see herself until that reveal. Right. So what's kind of cool about that shot is when you see her screaming, she's seeing herself in the makeup for the first time. Wow. And that was a one-shot take. Wow. Yeah. That's something else. That's something else to, to experience uh, right, right off the bat. That's going to yeah. really uh, inform her performance, I imagine. Absolutely. So, so, you know, certain things I direct, other things I just leave to their acting abilities. And if obviously it needed to be tweaked, we did so. But I definitely think we had a really great team. So it worked out really well. Right. So I imagine that it went the same way with the the crew, your DP. You were able to kind of trust uh, the the lighting setup, whatever your DP had decided to do with little tweaks from the director? Absolutely. Um, I would say this movie would not have been possible without uh, my director of photography and his team. Um, He is somebody I have been uh, a promoter of for the last six years we've been trying to get this off the ground. What's his name? He's been uh, Justin Kemper. Nice. And this is his first feature. I actually, you know, I think he has actually done another feature. Um, so I might be wrong on that. Uh, but it was a while, it was a while ago. Um, but this is his more recent feature, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but for him, you know, I really told him what I wanted. I told him the look I was going for. Tweaking wise, it was very minimal because he gave me exactly what I was looking for, right. and you can you can really see it in the trailer. Um, you can see those images. The, there's a little bit of a fun fact with the trailer as well. Uh, there's zero color correction on that. Uh, what seriously? One hundred percent out of camera. I was rushed to get a teaser trailer done in five days, so I edited that trailer in five days, and um, we didn't have time for color correction. <laughs> That's something so, else. That's yeah, there was edited and posted in five days for. Um, I guess there was a big event that we wanted to hit, so right. uh, that was definitely accomplishment on its own. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah, but yeah, that's out of camera that you saw. Um, there was no color correction applied at all. That's really something else because you look at it, and I could have imagined that it it was the the final final, uh, and, and you know obviously everything that we see nowadays, especially um, horror movies, are just you know they're color corrected to, to shit. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the the point here is obviously we don't want to color correct that much. We wanted it to be close as possible in camera. Um, so I, he did such a good job. I just I can't even begin the say how good he was you know and and it shows especially when you see obviously now knowing that that's completely out of camera it's just he's amazing and i know he's going places and i hope he will follow with me absolutely absolutely. that's all i could hope for is this a is this a world uh a story that you want to revisit maybe Uh, could you rephrase yeah Yeah, like like sequels and stuff yeah uh sequels written and uh going through revisions right now right on right on yeah so on the on the near horizon is finishing the movie for for the summer sometime. 
and you're already looking to the next thing, it's going to be a sequel. Definitely want to work on a sequel. I don't know if that's going to be the okay. next thing. Um, I don't know if jumping right from right. WTF to WTF2 uh, is is the right move. Um, I might give it a little bit of air, mm-hmm. but um, that's still undecided. Um, I'm working right now to – I have a few scripts that I'm, I'm kind of filtering through, and I have my hand on two of them. Um, I'm just kind of making a last-minute decision on which one to pull the trigger on and go from there. Right on. Well, this next one will not be written by me. <laughs> oh, okay. Right on. Peter, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck. I can't wait to, to actually see the movie. Um, I'll definitely post the the uh, trailer for our listeners to, to check thank out you and so get much. excited about. And I'm sure Action to Go Go and Derek are definitely going to uh, be covering the movie when it finally does come out. So uh, really excited to see it. Really excited. Yeah, you guys, have, you guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for everything. Thanks, Peter. Have a good one, man. You too. Take see care. You. Bye. You say they never saw this coming, well you're not alone Million dollar renovations to a happy home My ex said she gave me the best years of her life I saw a recent picture of her, I guess she was right I wake up, accessing the damages Checking media takeout Bitches will be drunk walking out with a bitch But it's blurry enough to get the fake out I wake up, all veggies, no eggs I hit the gym, all chest, no legs Yeah then I made myself a smoothie yeah. Then me and wifey make a movie Chicago, St. Louis, St. Louis to Chicago Underlay, underlay, E-I-E-I Uh-oh, you had me driving fire enough to switch the time zone You was the best of all time at the time, though Yeah, you wasn't mine, though But I still drove 30 hours Yeah, I still drove 30 hours